Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And the skill we're talking about today, Tim, is confidence. Mm -hmm. Uh, I find that a lot of students are lacking it, but it's a really important trait, especially if they're going to walk through life ready to take on the things that are in front of them. No doubt about it. Do you mind if I jump in real quick? You're probably going to say something else. I always have something to say, but you go. that's true. That's true. Um, and I've never had that feeling before. Um, <laughs> uh, Andrew, when I look at the, some meta-analysis, I didn't even think about this earlier, but um, the millennial generation who are now adults and professionals, as a generation, there were always exceptions, probably as a generation was perhaps more confident than, than they maybe ought to be, you know, Absolutely. feeling like they're going to be you know, the vice president when they're 26 years old or whatever. Gen Z, just because of what's happened over the last year, but yes. certainly 20 years of their growing up years, maybe is underconfident. And maybe there's much more in them than they realize, but the confidence level just isn't there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and I think uh, if you think about, uh, for instance, when you or I maybe look back on our earliest days and think, when did yeah. we start developing confidence? It's specific moments. Yeah. Oftentimes moments that Generation Z is not getting, yeah. but specific moments where you just have this uh, realization like, oh man, I think I can do this, yeah, or right. I think I'm a leader, or I've got a skill I didn't realize I had, or a strength I didn't realize I had. Um, so I, I thought it might be fun if we started off talking about those. Okay, yeah, go for it. So one of the ones that I um, thought of for me was actually in my freshman year of college. I uh, got to school and uh, uh, started hearing about all the clubs that they had at, at school that you could join and be a part of. One of the clubs was uh, an anti-human trafficking club. And at that point, I know it's a really big issue that lots of people are talking about yeah. today. I actually had never heard about that freshman year of college. And I was kind of blown away, one, that this yeah. exists, and then blown away that there's this opportunity to help raise awareness and money yeah. for all these organizations who are doing great things. So I joined that club, and I'm, I'm a participant all year. I think I thought of myself as um, somebody who believed in the issue and showed up to the meetings, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but late into my college freshman year, I was um, actually in a car with several people, including the president of the club. He was a senior. He was about to graduate. And I remember distinctively, he turned around and looked at me and said, so you're going to be the president of the club next year, right? And I was like, what are you talking about? Wow. And he said, yeah. oh, everybody expects that you're going to lead this. And it is just so funny that I had gone yeah. all year long and thought, I'm a member of this club, yeah. while everybody else is looking and saying, you're a leader of this yeah. club. Yeah. Uh, and so from then on, I saw my role there differently. I was able to go on and, and lead that club for two years, and it was a really fantastic opportunity. But it's just funny how that sort of sneaks up on you, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I, I yeah. can do something here. People see me this way here. Yeah, so it was a self-awareness issue. You Absolutely. You just weren't aware. You weren't being a bad person, or what you just weren't aware that others saw that influence. Yeah. I think for me, it was uh, when I was in middle school that I began to be more aware and a little bit more confident in my actions when my teacher pulled me aside. I think it was after a science class, and I had um, gotten a little bit in trouble. But we'll just we'll just leave it there. <laughs> I've been with some guys that were clowning around. That's for around. another podcast. That's right? right, exactly. But we were clowning around with you know Bunsen burners and things like that. And my teacher pulled me aside after class as I was moving on to the next class as quickly as I could because uh -huh. I knew I didn't want a confrontation. But she basically said, do you realize people watch what you do and say? Mm. And my answer was no. 
Yeah. <laughs> I didn't care and I didn't know, you know. And she began to encourage me to watch out what I say and do because others are watching. And she didn't use the word, you're a leader, but I began to be more aware that I carried some weight. Yeah, um, you, you and, influenced. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and it, actually, it was a good thing because I, that awareness really informed my high school years. I made mistakes still, but I was much more aware. I, I need to watch out what I say and do. I love that. I yeah. love that. If only we were all that aware. And I would really encourage you guys, listeners, to think about what was the moment or, or were there several moments for you where you realized, oh, man, I've got some influence. I've got an ability here. I've got a strength here. Maybe I didn't recognize. What's interesting is as we were talking about this, uh, one of maybe the most confident people we could point to in history, especially in sports history, uh, was somebody who I think is a great example of what this yeah. can look like and how uh, it's often developed. So I wonder if you might lead us in that conversation. Yeah. So I'm a baseball nut, like some of you are, I'm sure, listening. But Babe Ruth is a legend, uh, one of the first inductees into the Baseball Hall of Fame. We all know him as the Sultan of SWAT, you know, whatever. But New York Yankee uh, started with the Red Sox, and that was, you know... That's contentious. That, that was a curse, yes. yeah. But anyway... Uh, while he was with the Yankees, you clearly saw when he stepped up to the plate, he, he had talent, but he had tons of strikeouts as well as tons of home runs. Yeah. So it wasn't like he was invincible, but he acted invincible. His confidence level was so high. Yeah. And what we love about the story, what I love about the story is, you know, he would uh, more than once he would step up to the plate point out to right field, like where he was going to hit the ball. You know, they're warning him. I, I'm warning you, you know. Yep. And Go ahead course, and pitch the ball. Doesn't matter what you that's do. Right. Yeah. More than once, he'd actually hit a, hit a home run. So what, the story that I want to tell, um, Andrew, is he was approached by a researcher at Columbia University back, you know, in the midst of his career, his professional career. So yeah. he'd already hit a bunch of homers. And this researcher from Columbia wanted to just um, – he just was being coaxed to undergo an experiment that would reveal maybe what made him so different than the other players. Okay. So um, the tests that were, that were done at Columbia revealed that Babe Ruth functioned at a 90% efficiency rate compared to the human average of about 60%. So we all have capacity to some level. But take Babe Ruth's capacity and other people's capacity. He was at 90%. So almost all of his talent was being used, and then most of us at 60%. And I would argue, I think I know people, it's way less than that because yeah. they don't have any idea what they can do. Yeah. Okay? So let me keep going here. It's interesting. His eyes were excellent and operated about 12% faster than those of the average human being. So you all, you you know that if you're playing Major League Baseball, your eyesight's better than A baseball yeah. and much better than high school baseball. It has to be. Yeah. The higher you go... Playing professionals, the better your eyesight in, in baseball is. It's just mm. a, well, Babe Ruth was functioning at a at a higher rate. His ears function at least ten percent faster than those of an ordinary man. His nerves were steadier than four hundred ninety nine out of five hundred persons. Isn't that crazy? Wow! Yeah. Yeah. So, needless to say, Babe Ruth was a was a confident man. What's interesting is, um, Babe Ruth. All those studies on Babe Ruth only confirmed what he already felt about himself. Yeah. So he didn't know the science. Yeah. But once he was exposed, he goes, you know, pretty much, I know. You yeah. Know, I'm, I'm, I'm amazing, you know. Now, there's a fine line between cockiness and confidence. But I agree. we need confidence to really perform at our best. Oh, otherwise, our successes are accidental and happenstance because, 
you know, we didn't get in our own way. Absolutely. And it seems like uh, the, the lesson here around him is that it was actually his awareness of self, his self-awareness yeah, yes. that led to that confidence. He didn't need a doctor to tell him yeah, your right. eyes are 12% faster than the average human being. He knew when he stepped onto the, up to the plate that he, was, uh, he had what it took to succeed, yeah. right? Yeah. Even when he failed, he still maintained his confidence yeah. that he had what it took to succeed. And I think that is that rare trait mm-hmm. that frankly can only come when somebody yeah. knows who they are, they know what their skill set is, they know what their strengths are, and they act yeah. from those things. So Andrew, our concern obviously is as we uh, interface with people who work with Generation Z, they are parents, they are coaches, they are youth workers, they are teachers and principals and deans and so forth. Um, I am concerned that unless we lead them well, we will have a generation that's just as loaded with talent and smarts, but they may not realize it because the messaging they have gotten is just be careful, COVID-19, jobs are not available, et cetera, et cetera, you know. Yeah. So you and I both know students that operate less than they could be because they just lack this this confidence that we're talking about. Absolutely. And honestly, what's what's uh, most important on that, and I tell this to students whenever I get the chance to, if I'm in front of a group of students, I tell them, your generation has the potential to be one of the greatest generations yeah. in our nation's history. And the reason why is because you have access to information yeah. and opportunity <clears throat> that previous generations did not. But it's a choice mm-hmm. that you have to make yeah. to leverage those strengths, yeah. uh, those opportunities, and turn them into success, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, that choice is made, I think, most by self-confident people. No doubt about it. When I have, more than once I've interacted with a, let's say, a high school student, and I see them performing lower than they could, and I'll just want to say to them, if you could only see what I see Mm. in you. Yeah. Um, And that's probably what every parent has thought about a child of theirs. If you have multiple children and you're a parent listening, I would say you probably have some that are maybe overconfident, some that are underconfident. But it's so, so, so interesting. Andrew, you and I have talked for several years, ever since you came on the team here, about the diagnosis that some psychologists have made. I began to hear this at least a decade ago. Mm. But it was high arrogance, low self-esteem. Yeah. High arrogance, low self-esteem. It almost seems oxymoronic. <clears throat> How could you have both of those? But it was, it was almost like a teenager had a veneer of cockiness, but then underneath it was very fragile. They were very insecure, and they only put on that air on social media, but yes. really didn't have it on the inside. Yeah, and I, I see that a lot, especially um, when, when we do focus groups. I will meet kids who find, fit into that category really well. A lot of times what I find is that arrogance comes from access to information, right? Yep. So I know everything yeah. is kind yeah. of the veneer yeah. they put forward, right? But the reality is, is if you grow up relying upon that device for the information, for the skill set, for the answer to problems, some of those kinds of things, when you're actually sort of put on the spot, your self-esteem is low because you're actually realize, maybe you secretly knew all along, yeah. uh, I don't know if I actually have it inside of me to do all the things that I've been pretending I'm really good at. Yeah. So it's really a balance there. That's what's so interesting is I think these devices kids have access to give them confidence, but the problem is it goes a little too far sometimes. Yeah. And at the same time, we get so reliant upon it that when you know all of the, um, all of the things are revealed, all of a sudden it looks like how much do we really have? How yeah. much confidence do we yeah. really have? How much skill do we really have? And I think a lot of kids are asking those questions internally. No doubt about it. In fact, it doesn't take long 
to, to look around you, especially on with all the posts on social media, and to realize I found someone prettier, smarter, more intelligent, uh, more talented. So what we're trying to do, listeners, right now is begin to share some tangible solutions and really the research behind this issue. But we're connecting the dots between self-awareness and self-confidence. Absolutely. Yeah. One cannot happen without the other. Yeah, at least in reality. I mean, we can have that veneer, but what we want is the reality. So here's some interesting data. Um, The more highly motivated and energized you are, the more likely you are to take immediate action. So it's the hesitancy and the inaction that comes probably from, I'm not aware of what I can do. Yeah. I certainly lack confidence in what I can do. I don't know if I'm going to succeed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Happiness is also connected to this, Andrew. Interesting. Uh, being happier. Confident people tend to be happier and more satisfied with their lives than people who lack self-confidence. And in fact, it's a marvelous cycle. Think about this. It, the, 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 the great performance enhances self-confidence. If I perform well, I get more confident. Mm. But... If I'm confident, I tend to perform better. So it's a marvelous cycle we want to generate in in young people. Hmm. The problem is millions of students today project self-confidence, but it's fragile. It's even fake sometimes, and it's certainly temporary, built off of likes and shares and views that they've gotten. And the moment those are removed, so is our self-confidence. So we've got to build it off of self-awareness, not social awareness on the outside that so many people think I'm awesome. Absolutely. And I know we're going to jump into all of the uh, yeah. reasons here, but but apply it, listener, to where yeah. you're at right now. <clears throat> if you're working with a student who is experiencing a lack of confidence, maybe they just never seem, they, they get really good <clears throat> grades, but they never seem yeah. to be confident in yeah. the paper that they turn in or whatever it is. Uh, know that probably the, the, the issue there is that they've based their own self-confidence yeah. on things that are temporal, things that are uh, wishy-washy, like yeah. likes and follows yeah. and all those things. And probably the most important thing that we can do is actually move them towards self-awareness. Tell me more about yourself, some of those kinds of things. Here's why this is important. I want to tell a story now. This is actually a case study from the late 19th century. It's a story that very few people know, but it's such a picture of what we're talking about. So there was a a gentleman by the name of Emanuel Ninger, and Emanuel lived, like I said, 1890s. Um, He lived in a small town. But he would often shop at the local market, and he would hand the clerk, when he would buy groceries, a $20 bill. Uh, And one particular day, he handed the clerk a $20 bill to pay for what he had purchased. And back then, $20 bill was like... That's a lot of money. Like like hundreds of dollars. Yeah. And um, so if they had enough cash in the cash drawer, they would cash it. But sometimes they wouldn't have enough. But this particular day, uh, the clerk looked at the bill and thought, after she said goodbye to... Emmanuel, this is a beautiful kind of bill, but it's so crisp, I, I just wonder if it's real. So she had it, uh, she took it back to the store manager in the back of the store, and they looked at it and they said, we better call in someone from the bank. And when the bank came in, long story short, they said, this is a counterfeit. This hmm. is a counterfeit $20 bill. Uh, so they thought, this is really odd. Mr. Ninger's been a part of our community forever. I mean, we trust him, but why would he be doing this? So the police finally went over to um, his house, Emmanuel's house. They searched it from you know, basement to attic, and they realized when they got to the attic, something was definitely wrong. Up in the attic, nothing else in the home showed any signs that he was a thief or a counterfeiter. When they got to the attic, there were pictures that he had painted landscapes, portraits, but on the canvas, on a tripod that he was being painted in the process 
was a $20 bill. Oh. Emmanuel Nigger was painting $20 bills. By hand. By hand. And he was so good, he actually had pinned a real $20 bill, and he would paint it and then try to pass it off. Now, again, $20 bills were, that's a lot of money back then, but he could have painted $100 bills. He could have painted, you know, much larger yeah. sums. Yeah. Well, needless to say, Emmanuel Nigger was, was tried and convicted, and he went to prison. But here's what's sad. Up in that attic, sold later, were portraits and landscapes, paintings he had done, worth $500, $1,000, $2,000. That's how good he was. Yeah. But his self-esteem only allowed him to paint. Something counterfeit. He did not see himself as worthy of, of selling legitimate legal paintings. He was doing something illegal to get by. Is that not a picture of so many of us Absolutely. in our world today? Yeah. yeah. We don't, we're not confident in the things we created. Yeah. It's so uh, wild to me that it was actually his skill that got him caught. It was too yeah. good, That's you right. know, and That's they actually so noticed it that way. Yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. So the process usually is a three-step journey in my mind. Number one is awareness. We become aware of who we are, what we have, what we don't, where we fit into the big picture, and how we come across to others. Mm. Emmanuel Nigger did not have that. Yeah. Number two, acceptance. We grow content with who we are, embracing our hard wiring and recognizing we must focus on our strengths and then acknowledge our weaknesses. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of a two-way street there. Yes. And then finally, confidence. We eventually emerge confident in our identity, liberated from the stress of pretending to be someone else, using our strengths for the good. So awareness, acceptance, and confidence. I love that. We're trying to move people along that journey. I love right that. Yeah. And I, I, when I, it's hard for me to read those and listen to those without uh, thinking about my own journey. And I know all of us have gone on that journey of, of realizing, <clears throat> you know what? That thing I really wanted to be good at, it's not an area of strength yeah. for me, right? Yeah. But this thing over here, it is an area of strength for me. Yeah. Um, I remember going through that. I thought I wanted yeah. to be an athlete. That yeah. wasn't happening for yeah, me. Yeah, that's right. uh, yeah. And I discovered instead some leadership potential, some communication potential, some of those things. Yeah. So I, I think um, that that beautiful transition from awareness, realizing, oh, man, I'm good at this, but I'm probably not good at this, yeah. leading to acceptance. I, I choose to like that part of yeah. me. To, yeah. I choose to say, you know what? These are true things about me, yeah. both my strengths and my weaknesses, because it's really only once you know those things and acknowledge them that then you can step forward in confidence and go, listen, I'm great at this, not so great at this, but I know who I am, yeah. and that's what's most important. Absolutely. that's You nailed it. Uh, and in fact, I want to share now another case study from the 20th century, not the 19th century, that is, reveals that so, so well. Um, Viktor Srebriakov was a young uh, boy who uh, moved from his homeland in uh, Russia, the Soviet Union actually, when there was still a Soviet Union. His parents moved him to the UK, so he got to the West. And um, when he was about five years old, he started school there in the Western Hemisphere, away from communism, so he was free to become who he wanted to become. But um, because he moved to the UK, and his English was not as good. Uh, you know, that was not his home yeah. native tongue. And because he just was getting new, used to a new culture, his classmates in K-12 education immediately assumed he was stupid. Mm. And so he began to get name-called along the way. Mm. And, you know, you could, kids can be really cruel. Yeah. So in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, by the second grade, even his teachers joined in the bandwagon, assuming he was not as smart. He got, began to put, be put in slower groups and so forth and so on. Well, it was awful. You can imagine his sense of identity, his self-esteem was very poor as he moved through 
his K-12 education. By the time he reached high school, one of his teachers pulled him aside in the hallway and said, Victor, it's okay that you're not as smart as the rest of the kids. Just don't try, just try not to slow anybody else down. Mm. Well, that was crushing. Yeah. Because it was like a seal when a teacher even joins in the, the stereotype that he built up. So uh, by his sophomore year, Victor decided when, it was, when he was okay to do it, just to drop out of school. Mm. And back then, it was very common to drop out of school. And, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade education was all kids had. My dad said in Indiana, it was very normal back then in 1930 to just drop out. Mm. Well, Victor um, dropped out of high school at 16, and pretty much for the next several years, he just barely made ends meet. He got odd jobs, just enough to get by until age 30. But at age 30, something amazing happened. It was almost by accident. Victor happened to take an aptitude test to test his IQ. Okay. And Victor discovered that his IQ was 162. Whoa. He was a genius. Yeah. Well, Victor said in his book, I repeat, in his book, he wrote, that his, his life changed almost overnight. In fact, since that time over the next several decades, Victor patented two inventions, wrote books. He, in fact, he, he died in 2001. I think he was the president of the Mensa Society, which is a society of geniuses, and he was the president of the geniuses. I mean, it's, it's crazy. But, but uh, here's the question I love to ask when I tell this story. Did Victor's life change because he became a genius at age 30? No, he yeah. was a genius all along. What changed was his awareness of who he was. Yeah. He no longer got up in the morning, looked in the mirror, and saw an idiot. He saw a genius. Yeah. But it was there all the time. Yeah. And I love this picture of if we could only do this for kids. Not a fragile IQ, uh, uh, sense of identity, a real one based on what he really had Based on, on fact, inside. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So on a much, much, much smaller scale, I, my IQ is not 161. <laughs> this happened for me. I remember getting cut from the... From the uh, um, basketball team. I was going through a very, very difficult time uh, right around my tweener years, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. Those years were hard, just like they're weird, y- weird years, yes. But my mom reminded me, you have a gift in art and graphic design. You should use this. You should do this. And I remember entering a contest soon after that, and I won a school art contest. What I didn't know was my school actually then submitted my art into an international art contest held in Japan. Really? I never went to Japan back then. but, but You, you know. got gypped, man. Well, <laughs> well, what happened was I won a gold medal in the Japanese oh. International Art Contest. Wow. I remember actually holding one of our foster children. My mom and dad had foster kids growing up. I was holding a bit, and my mom came in and said, you won a gold medal. What? What? Huh? And she told me about this art contest. And I remember having an epiphany. That was something I could do really well. And through my high school years, even though I still didn't do so well in some areas, <laughs> that was where my sense of identity was built. It was something, it was a God-given gift that I began to build my sense of identity off of. I love that. Yeah. Everybody's on the path to self-discovery, I think, if they choose to be. But it is so interesting that like, it takes a moment like that for you to go, huh, this is a true thing about me. I, yeah. I, should, I should do something with it. It's no surprise to me that yeah. you are the founder of an organization that uses imagery yeah. and pictures <laughs> yeah. uh, to communicate. Yeah. I think only somebody with the gift and skill that you have could have thought up this idea. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, in a lot of ways, that blessing of that discovery that you made way back when is still uh, impacting thousands of kids the world over. 
So I think we should jump into a practical list um, Let's do of it. steps we can take. Call this a journey of self-acceptance, but it's going to involve both self-awareness and self-confidence. Absolutely. And confidence is where we want to end up. Yes. So I'll just jump in. Yeah, let's do it. Number one, um, the first thing I would recommend for you listeners, but also then for the young people you work with, is to find safe people to help you grow emotionally secure. Mm. So only when students find a safe place to talk will they become transparent and feel like they can be vulnerable enough to, to practice self-disclosure. You know, to kind of get honest about, I'm not good at this, I'm good at this. Um, Emotional security is a prerequisite, I think, for most teens to practice self-awareness and later self-acceptance. Further, I think they usually require someone to go first, to initiate that self-disclosure and acknowledge mistakes and weaknesses. In my home, as I raised my own kids, I tried to practice saying, I'm sorry. Mm. for what I didn't do right, because I wanted my kids to be good at doing that. And, and it, my wife and I both have thought, isn't it cool that as adult children, we have adult children now, they're both very, very much okay with saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I didn't do that well. So yeah. that's step one, find safe people. Number two, complete self-assessments to discover hidden qualities about yourself. So I won't go long into this, but Andrew, you and I are bo- both believers in Assessments that you can take, whether it's the DISC profile, the Myers-Briggs temperament indicator. Yes. Um, there's all kinds of assessments out there. but And we've had our team go through them over the years. Yes. But I just believe those are really good objective. They're not always 100% accurate, but they're enough to point us in the right direction. Exactly. And I just believe that's just really key that we they do. Self-acceptance comes when we realize, okay, this is what I got, this is what I don't have. Absolutely. I'm a big believer in taking multiple ones. Yes. So that way absolutely. you can kind of sift through yeah. and yeah. figure out how you want to uh, explain yourself or think of yourself uh, in front yeah. of other people. So our team at Growing Leaders practices the IPSAT, yep. the Identity Profile Self-Awareness Tool. Yes. And it's just a tool to collate all those assessments we've taken on ourselves and have a statement yeah. about who we are. Um, yeah. So that's step two. Uh, number three, pair up and play this game. Okay. So one game you and I have talked about, Andrew, a lot, and we've done it on our team over the years, is a little game where you get with another individual that you feel safe with and you uh, ask the question, what is it like to be on the other side of me? What is it like to be on the other side of me? Um, and and the, I just have felt found that the more you play this game, the safer both people feel to open up and help other people uh, recognize you know who they are, how they come across. On our leadership team, have we not taken the last few months and really gotten candid with each other? Yes. But it's an environment of love. But yet, you know, what am I missing? This is the last question. And we go, well, to be honest with you. But it's been, I felt like it's been a really rich experience. It absolutely has. I think... Uh, Especially when you choose people who've been around you for a while, they can answer that question uh, perhaps better than anybody. And sometimes, in fact, oftentimes they see things that you don't see, Yeah, uh, which is why this game is so important to play. Yeah, it helps you see blind spots. Number four, remind yourself of your unique strengths and abilities. This happened to me growing up with caring teachers and and my mom, she would remind you when I needed to be reminded, don't forget that that graphic design gift you have or don't forget... That, that track thing you have on the track and field team, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I have found this has been interesting to me as we've worked with Division I NCAA sports teams in various uh, schools across the country. The successful athletes I know tend to say just before they enter a competition, I got this. And I love that. Um, it, it's just really cool. Male and female, you know, track, 
tennis, golf, football, baseball. You got to be able to say, "I'm about yes. to do this, and I got this." Yeah, it's just a great statement. Absolutely, yeah. it doesn't matter how skilled you are; you still need that reminder to yourself that's, that's of that, exactly that right. ability. Yeah, that's right. Number five, uh, learn to both listen and talk to yourself. I love this one. So, Andrew, there was a, a few years ago that I realized that my mistakes and my problems that year, even as a grown adult professional was I was listening to myself more than I was talking to myself. And when I say listening, we, there's part of the deal. You got to listen. As a diabetic, I have to listen to my body. Yeah. Am I low in blood sugar? You know, yeah. that sort of thing. So there's a place for that. But if I only listen to my lazy self mm -hmm. or my hesitant self, I won't do the things I'm capable of doing. So I need to talk to myself and say, I got this. You yeah. know, so, so there's a balancing act there. And as you work with students, listeners, I just want you to know, teach both skill sets. What do we need to listen to? And what do we need to say? Nope, I'm going to talk to myself right now and say, I can do this project. I do have what it takes. And I'm going to proceed. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That is a really important ability. And I, whenever I suggest that to teachers, I go, I know this sounds hokey, yeah. right? Yeah, it does. But it the does. reality is it's actually a really important skill, especially for young people to have. Yeah. So I love yep. that. All right, All right, last one. One more, number six. Give yourself um, permission to fail. Mm. Um this step may be the toughest one of all. Failure is a four-letter word, or fail really is a four-letter word. Yep. But it, it really is to most students. Uh, we talk about FOMO, the fear of missing out, but FOMU exists too, fear of messing up. Absolutely. Uh, so make this a constructive challenge. Try something you've never done before and risk failing or falling down at a new venture. Um, I remember I had a mentor years ago that said, when was the last time? You did something for the first time. Yeah. And the longer that gap is, as you age, it tends to get longer in between. It's because you don't want to try a new thing. Yeah. You don't want to not it's be risky. good at something. Yeah. yeah, it really is. But this usually enables someone to see the need for change, but now the courage to, to, to meet up and do it. So yeah. I love this. I love this. Well, uh, as a way of closing, you and I were talking about uh, your family. And in fact, yeah. uh, a, a story that you had um about uh, some family pets yes. and how this is a, a really picturesque example of exactly yeah. what it looks like when you're maybe not aware of who you really are. That's really true. So when I was a teenager, I was living in San Diego, California. My aunt and uncle, Aunt Jean and Uncle Wanda, uh, had a cat named Otis. Okay. That was their cat. At, Otis had been around as long as the hills. I mean, he'd been around forever. In fact, I don't remember when they got Otis. He'd been around forever. But while I was a teenager, a high school student, my aunt and uncle got a, a new uh, French poodle named Pierre. That's very Pierre. For a French poodle. Yeah. yeah. But here's what I noticed. Uh, Pierre was the new kid on the block, and he didn't have any buddies except for Otis, who mm -hmm. was a cat. So a different species, yes. right? Yeah. But he hung around Otis all the time. And we started to notice something very interesting a few weeks into Pierre's life with Aunt Jean and Uncle Wanda. Uh, Otis would jump up on a couch, and Pierre would jump up on the couch. <laughs> Otis would jump on a table. Pierre would jump up on a table. And we realized, poodles can't jump up on tables. Yeah, you know? They don't normally now, do this. It's yes. only anecdotal. This is not scientific. But we started to realize, maybe Pierre thinks he's a cat. Yeah. And his confidence level rose because all he hung around was a species that could do amazing things. So he was doing amazing things. Yeah. Listeners, here's what I'm posting. What if we began to create a narrative that was, who knows what you might do yeah. if you just hung around people that were saying you could do this? What if your self-awareness and your self-confidence matched and you began to do things that you would have never done before when you thought you couldn't? 
mm. do it. I love that. I love that. Well, may that be the message that our kids get. Um, if you're interested in talking about self-confidence, self-confidence is actually uh, a, a subcategory of SEL. If it's yeah. in that self-awareness category, yeah. those two things are intimately connected, uh, even from a, a research basis as well. Um, and if you're interested in developing this skill, I really highly encourage you to teach social and emotional learning. This is one of the many skills That's associated right. mm-hmm. uh, with self-awareness. So uh, if you're looking for a way to do that, we've got a really great program. It's not the only program out there, but we are very partial to it. We call it Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning. We teach these concepts using imagery and story, much the same way that we talked about it in this podcast today. So if you'd be interested in checking that out, head on over to growingleaders.com slash S-E-L, and you'll be able to find out more information. In fact, even try it for free. You can see what it looks like. Get on our online platform, Habitudes Online. Uh, There are literally hundreds of schools and organizations across the country that are using this program, uh, and it's been really helpful for them. Well, uh, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars. That gets the word out about what we're doing here. And if you found it helpful, please pass it along. Share it with somebody that you know. Uh, As always, if you want to connect with us uh, online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. Uh, And then lastly, if you've got ideas for this podcast, people you want us to interview, subjects you want us to cover, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Tim, thanks for leading us in this conversation about self-confidence. Guys, go out there and lead the young people that you're leading really well. We'll see you next time.